in a spot. Dear Lord God, thank you for the breath that you do place in our lungs. Thank you that you do sustain us. You keep us alive. You keep us going, Lord God. We know that everything good comes through you. Um, we pray right now that these words that come to us, that we'll be able to take them in, that uh, we'll listen to what your word has to say before the message comes to us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want me to hold it? Thank you. Um, tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. Then I'll be reading um, 17 to 19. But, good, but goodness with contentment is great gain. For we, for we put nothing in the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But, but it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be contented with that. And those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap in and into many foolish and harm and harmful degrees desires, desires that that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the for the love of money it is a root of all kindness and of evil, of all kinds of evils. Um, some, people. some people eager to for money have wanted. have wanted have wanted from faith the faith um, and proceed pierced and pierced themselves with grief. Verse 17 Com commanded those who, who are rich in present world, in present, present world, not to be arrogant, arrogant, arrogant uh, nor to put, put their hope in wealth, which, which is so unattained uncertain uncertain mm. but but is but to put the hope in God who richly provide us with everything and uh, everything for our enjoyment come up oh, commanded them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to lay up treasure for themselves as firm found foundation for, for the coming age 
so so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Woohoo. Thank you. Aurora, everybody. How old are you, sweetheart? Eight. Eight. Nearly nine. Nearly nine. <laughs> of course. I remember when I was eight. I couldn't do that. I could not do that. In eight, I would have been in year three. I can remember in year three when I was sitting next to my best friend, his name was Edward Zack. Back in those days, they used to have a thing called a school magazine and we had to read it publicly around the classroom. You would read a paragraph and the next word would be a paragraph. And he was reading a paragraph and he came to a word which was... Is that me? Michael Criddle, everybody. Give it up for Michael. You took it off, you put it back. <laughs> Fatigue. And he reads it out and everybody started laughing. <laughs> Me too, because you don't want to feel silly. Aurora, you did incredibly well. Wonderfully well. Well done. Keep it up. I know in the reading of God's word, it's very important and very serious for us, but having young people come and read the scriptures publicly, that's something to be very encouraged. In my very first church, when I was 28 years of age at Seaforth Baptist Church, we had a young guy, he was 10, and he could play the flute. I think it was a flute. <clears throat> we went back about 10 years later, he was still there, still playing the flute. Because we encouraged him. We need to encourage our young people, don't we? Yeah, well done, Aurora. You are a delight, as are many of the other young people. So, good evening, everybody. I'm Pastor Charlie. <clears throat> so, how are we, everybody? <laughs> Charlie, <clears throat> Charlie's grown a little bit since you lost her. Um, Charlie double booked himself. Well, he didn't. Charlie forgot to put an, a, a, an appointment in his calendar, and Elena, his wife, she who must be obeyed, uh, has taken them to another appointment tonight, a, a family do or something, and he was panic-stricken on Monday to say that I've double-booked myself, what can we do? So we sort of swapped morning services. He did 10.30, I'm doing what I did at 8.30. So who was here to this morning at 8.30? You don't count, you walked out. <coughs> a couple of you, okay. I'll try and add a few other little interesting stories or something along the way, but on the whole it's going to be the same and just as good as it was this morning. Um, How about them Broncos, eh? Cowboys, sorry. 
As somebody said to me this morning, there are two Queensland teams in the grand final of the NRL. Isn't Melbourne a Queensland team? There's a lot of Queenslanders in the Melbourne team. Uh, if you have time this week, you could pray for the Cowboys because they're going to get killed. There is one announcement I need to bring to you tonight, and that is this incredible film which is going to be shown, Michael didn't fix it, on 7th of October, 7 o'clock till about 9, what, 30? 9.15. At least once. Everybody has the... They should have the opportunity to hear the gospel, the story about Jesus, at least once. It's a great film. It's a documentary by OM Missions. And I encourage you to come along and do that. And, you know, we want to go out after that or whatever, um, you can do that. Oh, no, I don't want to use a handheld. I put it over here. It's over there. Go away. <coughs> Let's pray and start before he gives me something else. You going to give me that? Is it going to do that all night? I'll stand very still and I won't move. Let's pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity for us to be together. Be with Charlie. Help Elena to forgive him. Thank you, Lord, yesterday for the wedding of Jeffrey and Sheridan. What a lovely couple and what a great service and reception and Lord be with them on their honeymoon, help them have a, just an absolutely outstanding time, learning more about each other, enjoying each other, thanking you for the wonderful gift of marriage and Lord can you bless and strengthen our marriages and guide us as a nation as we vote about marriage and then tonight Lord speak to us through your word, help us to be a people who are committed to you, tolerant, patient, loving and kind. Even when people make decisions or disagree with us, that's not what's important. What's important is you and their relationship with you. To help us to get our lives right and to live right and help us to represent you in all of our conversations. Lord, can you please forgive those on the Christian right who have become too loud and too obnoxious and too attacking and aggressive. And you, can you give us wisdom to know how we can have sensible, heartfelt conversations with people who don't know Jesus? This is the world we're heading into and we are your servants. Can you shape us and guide us even through this night in what we learn and teach together? We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this didn't work this morning, so we'll try it again tonight. No, I haven't had any more lessons. Here we go. Passionate followers of the Lord Jesus are faithful, are to be faithful and responsible stewards. What's a steward? It's a servant. Somebody, in fact, who has been entrusted with a cause or a mission or a purpose. You've been entrusted with something that you are to manage. I did it again. There's another slide in there. Just close your eyes for five seconds, please. Amen. Let's pray. 
Peter says, look at this verse. This is the key verse. Each of you should use whatever gifts that you have received. And you've got a diversity of them to serve others. Why? As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Reverse it. God's grace comes in various forms. And we'll talk about that tonight. It all comes out of God. It all comes out of his unmerited favour, grace. And we are stewards, faithful stewards of it. He's entrusted something to us and he's watching us and wanting us to be responsible in what is, in, what is given to us. And it's each of us are to use whatever we have received to serve others. It's always others focused. Close your eyes again. Oh, how did I do that? <laughs> Gary, stop it. Ah. Is it me? Thank you. <laughs> Don't laugh and encourage it. It's rebellion in a very subtle form. You have received, what does that say? That's not in my notes. Where'd they come from? <laughs> that is ridiculous. That'll do. Let's start there. Stay there. We are stewards. And that's what these passages of Scripture talk to us about, that we are to be regarded. If you know Jesus and you follow him, end of the day, you're a steward. You're a servant. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking to this church and he says, regard us simply as God's servants. Each of us is to do the work which the Lord has given us to do. And God works through us in the process of doing it. 1 Corinthians 3. Next chapter, chapter 4, he actually says, this is how you ought to regard us as servants, stewards of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Verse 2, it is required of those entrusted with something to be found faithful. That's echoey. Or, and they must prove themselves to be faithful so we are stewards once you are saved if you know jesus if you've accepted him as lord and savior then now there is a process of change going on in you but also through you and god made you and god made you for a purpose and he wants you to serve him every christian is expected to serve hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 in the midst of talking about all that jesus has done for us the author of hebrews says you have been born again your sins have been forgiven. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses our conscience in order that we may serve the living God. Born again, forgiven, conscience cleansed in order that you can serve the living God. Christians are expected to be servants. And the Bible, in fact, amplifies that for us, that we are to serve him obediently, we are to serve him out of gratitude, and we're to serve him out of gladness. We're to serve him out of obedience. That's certainly what Deuteronomy 13 verse 4 says. And John Newton, you know the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, the guy who was a great preacher, a slave trader? He writes this. Listen to this. If two angels were to receive at the same moment a commission from God, 
One to go down and to rule Earth's grandest empire and the other one to go down and to sweep the streets of the meanest village. It would be a matter of entire indifference to each one which service fell to his lot. The post of the ruler or the post of the scavenger. For the joy of the angel lies in obedience to God's will. It's a great thought. It's a great quote, isn't it? The angels delight, simply delight to do what God wants them to do. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Gladly, obediently, wholeheartedly. We're to do it with gratitude. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Consider the great things that God has done for you and serve him out of that consideration. And then obviously Psalm 100, Psalm 100 verse 2, which is a pretty famous psalm, says that we are to serve the Lord with gladness. Not glumness, not glibness, not whinging about it. In fact, if that's how you're serving, then stop serving. <clears throat> Serve the Lord with gladness. It's your delight to do so. It's not an inconvenience, it's a privilege. Book of Nehemiah, there's this incredible story where Nehemiah, concerned about what's going on back in the hometown of Jerusalem, he goes in before the king in chapter 2 and there's a sadness on his face. To appear before an ancient king with sadness on your face was the death penalty. How dare you appear in my presence looking glum. It's a great privilege to be in my presence, the ancient kings thought and taught. So Nehemiah is apologetic and honest, and the king is very gracious to him. How much more for us to appear before our king and to serve him with gladness out of all that he has done for us, particularly and primarily through the person of the Lord Jesus. So every Christian is expected to serve, Every Christian is gifted to serve. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have been gifted to serve. If you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you're still on your way, if you're still figuring it out, and don't worry about serving him, worry about learning about him and bowing the knee to him, <coughs> confessing him to be Lord and Saviour. That's your job. That's your first priority, not serving him. You can't serve him and earn your way into heaven. You can't give to him through offerings and buy your way into heaven that doesn't work you've got to know him personally once you do cross that line once you say jesus please forgive me for my sin be the lord of my life then you are gifted by him to serve the holy spirit comes within and when the holy spirit comes in he gives you spiritual gifts talk about that quickly in a minute the creator also gives you abilities talents talk about that and experiences and he gives you the gift of time as well as money all of these things are the things that God has resourced us with in order for us to oh, I'm sorry to serve him spiritual gifts every Christian has a spiritual gift gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to every Christian you have one you have two you have three you have made several you probably have one primary gift and you may have one or two other shoulder gifts you have these three in a cluster. That's common experience. It's not universal. But whatever gift you have or whatever cluster of gifts you have, you are to deploy them. You are to use them and develop them for his honour and glory. All out of God's very special saving grace. 
So discover what your gifts are. Study the scriptures. There are five chapters in the New Testament that give lists of the different gifts. And in fact, in some of the chapters, there are several lists. So there are, in fact, eight lists of gifts in the New Testament. None of the lists are the same. The New Testament is not exhaustive, but there are something like 27 different gifts itemized in the New Testament, and there are others. Which one do you have? Discover, find out. There are courses and there are ways that we can help you do that. But once you discover what your gift is, then of course you are obligated and um, required to be using it for his honor and glory. The Bible is things like teaching, both what I'm doing now, but what they do in Sunday school, what somebody does in a life group, even what somebody does in an accountability group, teaching God's word to somebody else, what a missionary does and they go overseas, teaching. Counseling, shepherding, caring, praying, interceding, speaking in tongues, evangelism, faith, service, administration, leadership, hospitality, encouraging, healing, and on and on and on. And you have them. And you are required to use them. We have people in our church, in our church, who have the gift of tongues. When they pray, they have the ability to pray in another language, which they've never learnt. It's a wonderful gift. <clears throat> You're in fact instructed by the scriptures that you should be praying for a second gift, which is the gift of interpretation. Wow. Isn't that trusting God? Wouldn't that be exciting? For God to actually speak into the congregation and to say, this is what I want to say to you. In our Western mindset, we tend to shut that down a fair bit. There are cautions and there are abuses. Um, and before, if you do have the gift of tongues, no, you can't do it in church. <clears throat> Come and talk about it. You can certainly do it privately. You should be developing it. So learn about it. Discover what your gift is. We can help you with that process. And then deploy it. Have a go at using it and find out where you fit. And then grow in it. Develop it. Become even better and better at it. That's what God requires of you. Spiritual gifts are given by God to, in fact, benefit the church body. It dishonors him when he gives us a gift and we don't use it to neglect it but God has given us more God has given us not just spiritual gifts he's also given us out of common grace the creator gives all people so everybody here tonight has natural abilities and talents <clears throat> I asked Rhonda how many abilities and talents and skills do you think you have and she thought about it her answer was pretty on the mark hundreds yep that's true. Hundreds. Each of you here tonight have hundreds. Research shows between 500 and 700. 500 and 700 skills, gifts and abilities. You stop and think about it. You have the ability to do all these different sorts of things. You could be gifted with words. You could be gifted with athletics. You could be very well coordinated like dance or gym or swimming or running. You could be gifted with maths. You could be gifted with music and singing. You could be gifted with mechanics, woodwork and needlework. You could be gifted with computers. Or like me, you could have all of those abilities and talents. Uh, I can't sing or dance. Maybe a couple of the other ones. Here is an incredible verse in Exodus chapter 31. I love this passage. This is where God's given very specific instructions to um, his people in Israel to oops, build the tabernacle. And look what God says, Exodus 31, 
He says, see, I have chosen this guy. His name is Bezalel. I filled him with the spirit of God. So he's in tune with God, connected with God. I filled him with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and with all kinds of skills. This is a very talented guy. You might know some like that. I've given him these abilities in order to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze. It's metalwork. To cut and set stones. It's masonry. To work in wood, carpentry. And to engage in all kinds of crafts. It's artistry. This is a very talented individual. Moreover, I have appointed a holy ab um, as to, to help him as his assistant. I've also given him the ability to, be, um, to all of the skilled workers to make everything that I have commanded you. That's typical of God. I want you guys to do this. And I've equipped him and her and them with the gifts and skills and abilities in order to do that which I am requiring you to do. So now reverse it. God has given you abilities and gifts and talents, whatever they are, to be used for him. It's not quite relevant for tonight's congregation. But in the morning congregation, we have people from Nola who is 98 and down. When Nola hears this sort of talk, when she hears this sort of, you know, expectation, God expects me to be doing things, and she's physically not as mobile, not as able. What would I say to her? Nola, can you still write? then you can write cards of encouragement, you can write letters to encourage missionaries, you can write prayer requests. What if she can't write? What if she's too old? And you get to that stage where it becomes shaky and ineligible. What could she do? She can pray. And that lady does every day. She prays for me every day. She prays for Pastor David every day. She prays for all of the pastors every day. She's a dynamo of a follower of the Lord Jesus. How about somebody else, maybe not as old, 98 as Nola, somebody maybe in their 80s or 70s. You can make phone calls, you can encourage, you can contact, just your very presence. Doesn't matter how old you are, there is no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. Spiritual retirement, not spiritual unemployment, not you've been gifted. He gave you gifts. He gave you abilities. And he expects you to use them and serve them, not simply to bury them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 says a very similar thing, that the Spirit of God is the one who gives us the abilities in order to serve him. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever ability or talent you have, you can use for him. I'm not moving. That's you. It's not them. God has also given us experiences. All sorts of experiences. Good, bad. You have family experiences. Some of you have come from very good families, Christian families. Jeff and Sheridan yesterday both come from incredibly strong Christian families. 
Jeff and Brenda are here tonight. So is Mark and Jenny. They paid me to say that. No, they didn't. It makes a difference in the life of the generation. Waza, what are you, fifth generation? You've got a whole history, a, a heritage of Christian family. I don't. I'm first generation Christian in my family. My mum got saved retroactively. I'm not sure my granddad got in. I don't know. My dad's not there yet. Both my kids following me, both love the Lord Jesus, serve him and follow him. My grandchildren will, God help them, will follow Jesus. I'm the start of the line. But some of you, God has raised you in a Christian family. It's an incredible heritage and blessing and privilege for you to experience that you have. But like me, or like you, it doesn't matter what background you've got. Good, bad, difficult, great. God gave it to you for a purpose and he wants to use that experience in order to help others. You've got not just family background, but you've got educational backgrounds. You have vocational backgrounds and experience. You have spiritual experience. You have, most of us, will have had painful experiences and God will use them. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 is all about. That which happens to us, he equips us in order that we can learn, in order that we can then encourage others. That's exactly what that passage says. Experiences. God gives us time. I need to hasten. We need to use it wisely. Time is short. Time is passing. Time is uncertain. Time can't be regained. Those passages talk about make the most of the opportunities that God gives you while you can. That's part of what God has given us in order to be responsible stewards of time. It's the greatest gift you have. It's the greatest gift anybody can give to another person is to give them time. You have a limited amount. It's priceless. And if you devote time to something, you are giving something very valuable. My wife says to me, that she loves it when I am on holidays. And I said, why, sweetheart? She said, because you're different. What do you mean I'm different? She says, you focus on me. You have time. You're not distracted by all sorts of things. And if you're like many of us, then, and if you're married, and many of the blokes anyway, it's quite possible for me, I can... Oh, fair dinkum. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> I can sit at home with Rhonda and I can be thinking about my day and I can think about issues while she's talking to me. I'm not focused on her. What a tragedy. What an idiot. So since she said that to me, I've tr oh, I'm trying to fix it more deliberately, more intentionally. Time is a gift. Use it wisely. You don't have forever. And use it particularly for him and for his purposes because there's going to come a time when life will end and you don't know when it is and nor do I. But when it does end, listen to this. John Oudberg writes that at the end of life, everything goes, just like a game, a board game, everything goes back in the box at the end of the game. So at the end of life, everything goes in the box 
box. Our possessions, our resume, our money, our pleasures, other people's opinions of us, our reputation, all of those things that we're so concerned about, our position, our titles, our youth, our power, our beauty, our fitness, our prestige, all of our possessions, finished. You leave it all behind. All goes back in the box. That's not what life is about. Don't be distracted and fooled by it. Life is about knowing Jesus, serving and following him and being the person he made you to be and gave you to be. Last thing, I'll go very quickly through this. When it comes to our money, God owns it all. He gives it to us and he can certainly multiply it and for some people he does, but he can also remove it if we're not walking in obedience to him and using it correctly. He's more than capable of removing it. You can't take it with you. The, lady, the richest lady in the world died on Friday. The cosmetic foundation owner of uh, L'Oreal, um, female um, perfumes and cosmetics. 50 billion she was valued at. Question, how much did she leave? Answer, everything. Oops. God owns our money. He owns it and he loans it to us. And he gives it to us and says, I'm going to entrust this amount to you. And he does it for those three reasons. He's going to test us. He's going to uh, teach us and he's going to use it as a tool for the growth of his kingdom. God is testing you. Can he trust you with true wealth? Because if he can, then he'll give you more because he can trust you with it. And you won't just spend it on yourself. You'll be using it as a wise steward of the things he's giving you. He'll also use it to teach you that as he is generous, so we are to be generous and kind and giving and good to others. And it's a tool that God wants us to use to grow his kingdom. God certainly wants us to use the resources, the financial resource we've got, to not only pay our debts and to provide... And part of that, part of that, is that we give to the life of the church. The Lord's work cannot be done without money. That's true. It's God's people's responsibility to contribute to God's work. Otherwise, it'll shut down. That's how it was with the Lord Jesus, how it's ever been, ever since. And as I said this morning, I love this catchphrase, this clever play on words. It's personal religion, personal religion is purse and all religion. My commitment to him involves all of my life, everything. He owns it all and he loans it to me and he's testing me and he's wanting to teach me. I think it was Albert Schweitzer who said, not sure, if you have anything that you can't give away, then you don't own it, it owns you that's worth thinking about we live in a very affluent society we in Australia are incredibly blessed and privileged we're surrounded by affluence and it's so easy for us I mean the advertisements and everything else they tempt us that we need more we need to update we need to change we need to keep possessing and moving and increasing what we possess and we can't give away what we've got we have to get a storage unit we stick stuff in that and we've got a lot of stuff for some of us we need to simplify 
God is using it to test us and so on. So what do we need to do? Well, bottom line is you need to give yourself to God. If you don't know Jesus yet, you need to give yourself to God. If you do know Jesus, you need to give yourself to God. Every day, take up your cross daily, deny yourself, serve him. Lord, everything I own and possess and have, my spiritual gifts for you to use, the abilities that I have to use and serve you, experiences I've had, the time I've got, the money I've got, it's, it's all yours for me to use for you. Have you done that? Will you do it? Do you need to do it again if you've already done it? And I told this story this morning and forgot the punchline, so I'll tell it again tonight, fix it up. An evangelist and pastor, Greg Laurie, and I'll finish with this, tells this story of an older lady who lived in California and she was determined to be prepared that if someday she was threatened by all sorts of things that were going on, that she would be able to protect herself. So she went and bought a gun, pistol. She took lessons, so she knew how to use it. And then she put it in the handbag and she carried it with her wherever she went. One day she went shopping, Saturday morning, down to the local supermarket, went to Woolworths. Pushing her trolley full of groceries back up to where her car was. When she got to her car, she found that four men, young adults, were sitting inside her car. She drew the gun out of her handbag, stuck her head through the window, and she said, I have a gun and I know how to use it. Now get out of my car. These four youths, shaken, departed, ran away. She was a little bit shaken, but pleased with herself. Puts the gun back in the handbag, goes to the back of the car, lifts the boot, takes the bags, the, tr- the food out of the trolley, puts it in the boot, closes the boot, puts the trolley back, which everybody should do, and then sits in the driver's seat, puts the key in the ignition, and it won't go in the ignition. It's not her car. She realises that. When she gets out, she realises her car is parked about four or five spaces further up. Identical car, make, colour and everything else. So she did the absolutely right thing. She went to the boot of the car, she took the groceries out. She put them in the boot of her car. Closed the boot of that car. Then she took her car and she drove to the police station. When she got to the police station, she turned herself in. The desk sergeant nearly fell off his chair laughing. He pointed down the end of the counter to four other young men who were reporting this little old lady with thick glasses with curly white hair who was less than five feet tall, who had a very large handgun. No charges were filed. She thought it was her car, but it really belonged to somebody else. Sometimes we get bent of shape bent out of shape about the things that we think are ours it's not ours it's his he's lent it to it he's lent it let me try this he's lent it to us does that help 
He's lent it to us, our spiritual gifts, our abilities, our experiences, the time we have and the money we have. And he says, I want you to use this stuff. I want you to enjoy life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He gives us all these things for our enjoyment. But not just that. It is that, but not just that. It's our enjoyment. And it's also our privilege and opportunity to use that stuff to serve others and to serve him. And it's a matter of us working out the balance. Lord, what do you want me to do with the stuff you've given me? It's not bury it. It's not ignore it. It's not neglect it. It's use it for him. What do you enjoy doing? Do it for him. Was the love surfing, apparently, as he said to me this morning? Can I tell this story? Yeah, go for it. He loves to go and surf, so he should surf to the best of his ability. And I asked him this morning, I think Rochelle called it, you know, church and surf or something. Should do it with mates, and he does. It's all about connecting, using what you like, what what you're good at, for him, for his honour and glory. I told you that was the last story, this will be the last story. Eric Liddell who was uh, a missionary to China back in the 1920s and 30s, and I think he died in the Second World War, 1940s. Back in the 1920s, 1924 Olympics, he got selected for the uh, British Empire uh, Olympic team, and he was a very good runner, and he got elected for, I think, the 100-metre sprint. And because they were running that event on a Sabbath, on a Sunday, where he, because of his Christian principles, felt it was inappropriate for him to do so, he refused to run. And the British were so um, desperate to like, win medals and stuff, and they knew how talented he was, they arranged a swap with a team player from, I think, a 400-metre event, from a 100-metre event, something like that. And he ran, and he gets gold medal. His sister, Jenny is very concerned about his, her brother, Eric, who is a, certainly a very gifted athlete, but a very committed Christian, and who was called by God to go to China as a missionary. And she felt he's going to be distracted. He won't fulfill the calling on his life to get, fulfill being a missionary to China. And Eric spoke to her and he says this, quote, Jenny, 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 no need for you to be concerned. I'm committed to going to China and I will go to China, but the God who made me made me fast. I love to run. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What a great quote. When I do what God has made me to do, my abilities, my gifts, all of that, I feel his pleasure. What gives you pleasure? How has God shaped you? Use that for him, for his honour and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who made us. You're the God who shaped us. You're the God who gifted us. You're the God who calls us. You're the God who works in us and through us. You intend so much good stuff for us. Lord, forgive us for the times we get distracted by playing in this world. Help us rather to be captivated by you and to be sold out to following you and serving you 
in the areas that you have called us and gifted us and enabled us to do so. Lord Jesus, all of this is for you and for your honour and for your glory. And we pray in your name. And everybody said, Amen. let's stand together.